We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time, it's time for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host Gavin Phipps. And I'm joined in the studio this evening by Xiaoxing Sheng, an advisor for independent lawmaker Freddie Lim. Hey, good to see you again, Gavin. And Klaus Badenhagen, who reports on Taiwan for German media. Great to be here. Tonight we'll be discussing the annual Hanguang military exercises taking place as China is getting more assertive in the region, an unacceptable omission of the ROC flag on the website of the German Foreign Office, Taiwan supposedly being the world's second safest country, a ban on the fishing of three species of large-sized shark, and the delayed but globally watched Chinese Professional Baseball League first half season. But we'll begin with the government-issued coronavirus stimulus vouchers rolling out on Wednesday of this week, when those who had pre-ordered their 3,000 NT worth of vouchers from either the convenience stores or branches of the post office began picking them up. Now, Zhonghua Post Office says that 701,408 packets of the triple stimulus vouchers were collected at post offices island-wide on the first day of availability, and that number exceeded the estimate sales of 600,000 sets on the first day, which the post office had well anticipated. There were some glitches in the post office issuing system, though, and it temporarily crashed within 50 minutes of going online. However, the post office says services were restored after about 15 minutes and no further problems were reported at all of its 1,299 branches island-wide. Now, pickups of pre-ordered vouchers at some convenience stores in Taipan, Kaohsiung also encountered problems as long lines and delays were reported due to the lack of manpower and also problems with the digital kiosks. Now, the government has said that the 237 4 million people who qualify for the vouchers. Well, that's how many are going to get them. And of Wednesday of this week, on the first day, 11.92 million people had ordered their vouchers from either post offices or convenience stores, or they had them linked to their credit cards or electronic payment accounts. And Academia Sinica says that it expects the 50 billion NT stimulus voucher program to boost the island's GDP by 0.2 to 0.3 percentage points this year. So, Klaus, did you get your vouchers? You mean, did I get up early, get in line at some post office in order to get effectively 2,000 NT worth of vouchers? No, because you didn't do that, no. No, I didn't do that, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well, I'd like to talk about how this can be the number one news subject in Taiwan right now, and if it's really that important, I mean, 2,000 NT per person. Is it not something that's maybe also distracting from other subjects? Why is everybody focusing on this? But um, maybe we come back to that. Uh, no, I... I'm actually qualified to get one of these vouchers, but my aim is to donate them because there are other foreigners in Taiwan who need the money more than I do, namely migrant workers. And there is a way, although the government has not been promoting that very well, to uh, well pay, pay the money, but then donate the voucher to an NGO of your choice. And one of these NGOs is called 140. It's an NGO advocating for migrant workers. And I would I would like to donate my voucher to them, but it's not so easy because you you can link your credit card, but I don't use a Taiwanese credit card. So apparently the only way is once I get my hand on the actual paper vouchers to mail them in uh, by post, um, which is probably what I'm going to do. But it's not as easy as I hoped for. And I'm also a bit disappointed that it is this possibility is not being promoted more because I think a lot of people would say, well, it's nice to have these 2,000 NT dollars present by the government. But if I can do anything with it that's um, more helpful to other people, then I would do that. And you applied for yours at convenience stores? No, I, I, did, I did not yet. But I, I probably, 
whenever I get my hands on it, I will mail it to 140 to this organization. And Xiao, where did you apply for yours? Um, not yet, because I've uh, heard stories that people struggling massively at the kiosk, right? Because I've heard people like there's one woman standing at a kiosk trying to get the vouchers for up to 20 minutes. Uh, the, the, the kiosk just keep crashing. Um, and we have stories that, you know, long and long lines. So, and news articles keep saying that keep uh, people have to wait. I mean, you don't need to go get the vouchers right right away, right? But uh, um, go back to the point. I mean, Klaus keep mentioned it's a, it's a two thousand voucher, but actually it's a it's a three thousand voucher. It's called triple stimulus voucher, right? And the the difference being that although among the three thousand, there's one thousand that you chipped in, and I think that's that's a genius idea, right? Because if it's just the two thousand voucher that government gives you, you're not gonna value it that much. But if part of it is your own money, then you will probably need to think wisely, and then you are part of you know the stimulus that's uh, stimulating the economy. So I think this is what makes this more successful than the two thousand nine voucher given out under the uh, my enjoy administration, right? Because back then. It's just people give you the uh, so-called the xiaofeijuan, the, the, the voucher. You just go out and spend. But right now, you have to spend your own money to get an uh, additional $2,000 uh, voucher. And in that process, you are part of the, the, the drive that's going to make the economy grow back stronger. So but, you haven't applied for yours either yet, no? No, but and I plan to do it digitally, right? And that's one of the features in this uh, in in this program. Right, right now, you can go to uh, the website three thousand gov tw, and for English version, just uh, slash en. You can go to there, and then and then there follow the step by step instruction to how to number one, just like Klaus said, link your credit card with a with a stimulus stimulus voucher, or use the e payment apps. One of those e payment apps, for example, like Taiwan Pay, um, and this is the this is good, right? Because now digitally you can. Uh, people spend their monies online, can use those vouchers. So it's not just a, a stimulation of, of a local economy, also it's a digital economy as well. And another advantage of a digital voucher over the the actual voucher is that you can spend however you like because if you get the paper voucher, you have to spend it in whole. Uh, the, the, the stores are not going to give you money back, so you have to buy something that's over 3000 or you lose the money. But digitally, you can actually spend however you like and just keep spending it until you uh, run them out. So, I mean, I, I really give a strong shout-out to the government, you know, to, to actually roll out this program, uh, although in, in physically and digitally. So this is one of the things that they do really, really great. And Klaus, I mean, do you agree there? Do you think by having your own money as part of the coupon system or the voucher system, it would work? It works better. Well, I think people will still find some ways around this if they want to abuse it somehow. Maybe sell their vouchers or their rights to a vouchers to a different person, um, and or, or they will just use the money to buy things they wanted to to buy anyway. So in the end, it's not going to have an effect. But, I mean, it's it's legitimate for the government to say we are going to hand out these vouchers. And uh, it's good to, to offer digital solutions as well. I agree with that. I just don't think it deserves to be seen as the uh, number one measure that's going to save Taiwan's economy. I think people are spending too much political capital and, and time and attention focusing on this subject right now. And you haven't applied for yours yet? Well, as I said, uh, I probably will because where I want to donate them. But where will you be doing it? At, I don't at know. I need, I need to check 3000.gov. 
www.gov.tw. Ah, right, there we go. There we go. Anyway, moving on, the annual Hangwang military exercises took place this week with elements of the Air Force, the Army and the Navy conducting drills at military bases across the island. Now, the drills were closely watched by China as two Chinese reconnaissance vessels were spotted operating in waters off the east coast on Wednesday as the military was preparing to carry out live fire exercises at the Zhou Peng base in Pingdong. And a Chinese aircraft was also spotted in the air, or I wouldn't say near Taiwan, but near enough on Thursday. Now, sources have been cited as saying the two naval vessels were sent to monitor and deter the Chinese naval vessels from entering Taiwan's territorial waters, and both the Chinese ships left the area shortly thereafter. Apparently, the Chinese aircraft was still some 300 kilometres away from Taiwan when it was spotted. Now, along with anti-sea and anti-airborne operations involving the Air Force, Army and Navy, the Navy this week also carried out its first live-fire torpedo drill in 13 years as part of the Hanguang exercise when a single heavyweight surface and underwater target torpedo was fired from a Chenlong-class diesel-electric submarine in waters off the southeast coast. Now, military analysts are being quoted as saying that the Navy rarely conducts live-fire torpedo drills because apparently it only has 60 of the heavyweight German-made torpedoes, but it's currently looking to replace them with more advanced US-made torpedoes. Now, this year's Hanguang military exercise also saw some of the military's newly established 22 combined arms battalions taking part and also reserve forces participated in the annual live-fire drills for the first time in a bigger concept, basically. Previously, reserve forces had fired off mortars, but this time they were firing off large artillery equipment. But it wasn't without incident, as two officers from the Taoyuan-based 601st Army Brigade were killed when their Kiowa helicopter made a fatal crash landing at the Shinzu Air Base when they were attempting to avoid civilian houses in the moments before that crash. Now, the commander of the Taoyuan-based 601st Army Brigade says the two officers were killed because the helicopter made a 180-degree turn as it was trying to avoid houses. So, Xiao, there you go. Of course, the, this week's hangar exercises began... Uh, several days after a chap called Enoch Wu put his foot in it and said something rather stupid about the island's military. <laughs> well, yeah, actually what Enoch said was that he, um, although he strongly supports you know, the military and the, 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 the drills that's necessary to, to train the military in order to prepare the, you know, the, any invasions, but uh, he thinks that um, the drills sometimes carries too much component of... Uh, just for show. I mean, he's just the, the military uh, spend a lot of time is trying to impress their officers, officials, and trying to make you know the the, the, the whoever that's gonna observe the drills, um, you know, leave with with the, with 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 a with a high spirits, but not actually going to the details that's necessary to prepare a stronger military. But in in that respect, I I think I I, I somewhat agree with what. Enoch was saying, right? Because, you know, uh, in any military, you know, the, the preparedness is strongly connected with the how, you know, the, the you know, the, the, the divisions, the, 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 you know, how the soldiers on the ground are prepared for, for whatever, whatever life mission they are trying to carry. But when, whenever you have uh, such a large scale drills that's overseen by the president, by, by the by the defense military, and sometimes the the, the soldier uh, spend too much time trying to you know perfect the the details that's not really necessary. Um, I myself was serving the military some years ago, and I, along with uh, countless Taiwanese men, have the same experience that we were asked to do um, some meaningless you know you know uh, 
drills or you know exercises again and again just because some higher rank official is trying to come in and observe us. So this is all to come experience for us. And I think you know we just um, just told the truth, but he at the same time you know kicked the uh, the hornet's nest and then got a shellacking from the president and from the defense military uh, minister. So, uh, but I think this is the ugly truth that Taiwan military ne- needs to face. So is, is, is Freddie Lim still on the Defense Committee? Yes, he is. So, so what is his and your position? Is it mostly for show this whole exercise, or does it serve a purpose beyond that? Well, he, he doesn't assert a position in this controversy, though. But, um, but I think just, just like I said, uh, many Taiwanese men understand that the military, um, to a large extent, needs to, you know, fine-tune the, 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 you know, the component of showiness and, and actually the, the hardcore exercises. I think what Enoch might be saying, of course, is the Hanguang exercise is known for its press access. It is the yeah. flashy exercise. The military have maneuvers and exercises every day of the week in Taiwan, but the Hanguang one is the one that gets splashed all over the TV. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that large part because the president and, and the very high rank officials are actually, you know, Make this exercise as a as a crown jewel of you know the the, the achievement or trying to show demonstrate you know Taiwan's military power right. Um, so I, I think to a to a large extent that that, that makes sense because any country needs to you know uh, demonstrate they have uh, the military capability to defend itself. Um, but like I said, you know if there's too much you know eyes. On the uh, you know the, the shining part of the military, then nobody is trying to look inside the hood and then try to make sure all the parts are working as they are supposed to. So um, I was reading, or I came across a Chinese state propaganda media article about the Hanguang exercise the uh-huh. other day, and uh-huh. of course they were criticizing it as being just for show and illegitimate. But um, they also capitalized on the fact that there have been um, the, the boat, the raft accident, like a, f- a few days before in preparation, where two people died and uh-huh. then an uh-huh. officer killed himself. <laughs> and they were having a field day, like jumping on that. And now with the... Um, accident, the helicopter crash from mm-hmm. yesterday, they mm-hmm. will have even more excuses to jump on that and attack Taiwan. So this doesn't really doesn't really look too good if, if you have accidents like that happening. No, no, it, it doesn't look good. And and this just keep happening, right? So in 2018, uh, in the same Hong Kong exercise, number 34, I mean, F-16 fighter jet, you know, lost contact and was later found crashed in the Keelong uh, mountains. So, I mean, yeah, just just like I said, th- this is really serious issue. So the military needs to really stop step up its uh, its preparation for that. Well, that also brings us to how well is the transition to the professional military force getting along? Will they be able to recruit the numbers of voluntary recruits with with um, the military situation with um, the lethal accidents happening and mm-hmm. um, with the, the work conditions that are go- going on there. So so what's the situation on that front? I, I, I think it's it's moving along, right? Because I've heard that younger men, you know, like the men who are 18 years old today, they, they don't need to join the military. So and that, that must mean that the, the transition from this uh, recruit process to the all, you know, um, Voluntary joining military is happening, right? Because right now, the older folks they probably serve four months, so the even younger ones they don't need to serve at all. So that means the move, the military is moving in that direction, and we are all you know very happy to see. And what about the reserve force? Mm-hmm. 
Of course, do you, do you, do you, are you a reserve? Yeah, I'm a reserve. So um, the reserve force is is we need we constantly being called back right for for drills for exercises right. So um, Taiwanese men like to call this the the, the lolly draw right because sometimes you get notice in the mail that you need to go back and serve a, a week or three days. Um, sometimes they, they they will happily accept and go. Sometimes they they will just you know find some of the excuses. But but this is what part of life of being served in the Taiwan's reserve military right. Because once we serve, we are not just you know. Quit the military. We we are in a reserve, and anytime if there's an invasion, we we all will be called back. And then you'll actually go back and live in the army barracks for a week or so when that happens. Or can you do that? From yeah, home? It, yeah, about uh, about three days or so. So hmm. it's, people treat it like a like a summer retreat. <laughs> and what about that? Of course, there's been some things said about the, the the equipment that the reserve forces are being issued. Yeah, the equipment is one of uh, the, 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 the you know. The jokes we like to talk about in the military, right? Because they are all crumbling. I mean, the 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 equipments, the, the boots, they they've been passed along for like generations. Or so, and the, the water bottles. So, I mean, the, the the military really needs to pay attention to you know um, the, the equipments, the the training, the 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 safety issues, um, and not just to you know uh, pay so much attention to trying to make a, a show of themselves when there's a large-scale exercise of drills like this. And we'll move away from the military and talk about the Foreign Office because the Ministry of Foreign Affairs this week described the German Foreign Office's refusal to include the ROC flag on its website as being wholly unacceptable. Now, according to the Ministry, the German Federal Foreign Office's differential treatment of Taiwan may lead to confusion because its introductory page for the island is different to those from other countries. And the Ministry also said that it's instructed its representative office in Germany to clarify Taiwan's position regarding the issue and it hopes the German side will change change the design of the web page so it's more balanced and harmonious. So, Klaus, here you go. Your foreign office is not being balanced and harmonious when it comes to Taiwan. Okay, let me start with the disclaimer here. <laughs> should we criticize Germany's Taiwan and China policies? Of course we should. The German government is being too soft on China and they are dragging the rest of the European Union down with them. That's a fact. Now, talking about this subject here with the flag on the website, this all started with media reports that had the most basic fact wrong because the initial reports all were the German government recently took down the flag. It was there and then it vanished, which is just not true. It was never on that website. And um, it just shows that Taiwanese media and um, shortly after that also some German media who jumped on that without doing the proper research they will just say, oh, here's a, here's a great story, let's, let's report that and not try to really check the facts. For, for example, the um, Radio Tehran International apparently was responsible for the initial erroneous translation because the German government spokesperson, or foreign ministry spokesperson, very clearly said that as far as he's aware, this is not a recent change, which was translated as this was a recent change. And then you have all these media reports, and then they go and ask the Taiwanese um, Ministry of Foreign Affairs for their statement. And, and then the Ministry of Foreign Affairs in Taipei apparently also gave their statement before checking back with their own office in Berlin about the situation. So later that day, the representative in Berlin came out and said, yeah, we are not on the, the flag is not on there, that's uh, not good, but it was never there, and at least we are on this country list at all, along with all the other countries which is also not the case everywhere. So I think a lot has been going on 
here, which just shows that the the way the media report about this and then the way like, government agencies think they have to respond to the media requests, there's there's something wrong here. But yeah, but, but that being said, it is true that the German is being extremely soft on China, especially recently with the Hong Kong security law being passed. I mean, the China, the German economy minister uh, Peter Altmaier even defended Berlin's refusal to um, take a tougher stand on, on on this issue, right? Because he quote he's saying that I mean. Um, those in favor of more strident responses were ignoring the economic consequences of confronting Beijing. And th- this is simply not acceptable, correct? Because in face of such, you know, cruel law, I mean, suppressing Hong Kong people's freedom and uh, on all aspects, th- this is needs to be contained in the inter- international community. Um, and also, it mentions that the, uh, the economy minister Altmaier. Uh, his stance is that he believes, you know, China can change through trade. But this is just nonsense because this has been the Western world's stance for the past, you know, decades, the past half century. And China has never changed. He's just becoming more and more authoritarian. Yeah. I mean, Germany is definitely one of the last major Western economies that still needs to officially come around to this realization. And um, that's regrettable, I think. If you look at that interview, Altmaier also went on to elaborate that um, isolating a country where you don't agree with the human rights policies does also not necessarily lead to a change. For example, if you look at North Korea, we we have been isolating them for a long time and the regime is still going strong. So that was kind of his logic in in that interview. But um, yeah, I I agree the German-China policy deserves to be criticized. Just let's not focus on symbolic issues like this, especially not if if they're based on, on wrong presumptions. Also, for example, take a look at the French Foreign Ministry's website. It's the, it's the same like the German one. There's a list of countries and flags, and instead of the Taiwanese flag, there's just a blank spot there. So maybe next week we'll all be talking about criticizing the French government for this. Look at the State Department website. There's no Taiwanese flag there. Look at the um, Foreign Ministry of Ireland. They do not even list Taiwan in the list of of countries. So if we focus on unimportant aspects like this, we will also like waste a lot of time. And also the officials in Berlin right now, they are kind of digging in their heels and they feel um, unjustifiably criticized. And maybe this will even lead to them like taking a stand and... Um, were insisting on their position even more than before. I mean, do you think this could hurt ties? Obviously, because Germany comes up a lot in Taiwan news. Was it last year or earlier this year when there was a petition? Oh yeah, right. Um, well, the bilateral relationships that we have between Germany and Taiwan, the working relationships, they are quite good. Like the German office here in Taipei and the Taiwanese office in Berlin, they are doing a good job and they are keeping a lot of contacts up to the level where it is possible. The Thinking really needs to change in the China department of the German Foreign Office in Berlin, I think. And and the fact that we had this um, hearing in the petition commission in the German parliament last December also shows that hopefully more and more parliamentarians will get away of this and they will use their ways to pressure the government from the parliament. So this might also hopefully slowly lead to more change. And we have to take a short break now, but we will return after these rather important commercials. 
And welcome back to Taiwan This Week. Now, it was announced this week that Taiwan ranks as the world's second safest country after Qatar in the Crime Index by Country 2020 Mid-Year Survey. Taiwan scored 84.74 out of 100 for safety in the online database, which looks at 133 countries and territories worldwide. Now, the crime levels in each country are scored by means of a straightforward subtraction of the safety score from the total of 100 points. And Taiwan's crime level score was 15.26, which rates the crime levels here as very low. Now, if the scores are below 20, they're considered low. If the score is between 20 and 40, they're considered low. If they're between 40 and 60, they're considered moderate. If they're between 60 and 80, they're considered high and very high and over over 80, basically. However, all this happened as the National Police Agency announced that the police chiefs of Kaohsiung and Tainan were being replaced to take responsibility for recent shootings and murders in their jurisdictions. Now, that move came after Premier Su Jung Chung criticised what he said was the worsening social order situation in Tainan and Kaohsiung. So, Xiao, do you have been to Kaohsiung or Tainan recently and did you see a worsening social order situation <laughs> in those cities? No, I, I think they, um, you know, traditionally feel very safe. But, you know, the Premier Su Chang has been known to have such a fiery stance when it comes to safety, right? Because back in 2006, when he was the first term Premier, um, he even, you know, bet his entire political career on the safety issue he said that you know if the, the, the if people does not feel safer in six months I will resign and then end my political career so that's what he said in 2006 so right now I mean he's doing this again and then um, in, in a even more you know uh, flashy manner so I mean this is good I mean uh, people will not object being you know safer in their cities but uh, as the premier said you know he cannot accept People start shooting, start brawling in in front of the, uh, the so-called nightclubs, right? So that's why you know you'll see a much more pronounced uh, police presence uh, when you go out uh, for a night of fun in the future. Yeah, I mean this this whole survey is interesting. It's one of these examples where whenever Taiwan gets good marks in any survey based on whatever it makes headlines here in Taiwan and everybody's clapping on their shoulders and feeling <laughs> proud and I mean no matter what for example this one is based on a website that is just collecting data based on um, actually asking people who live in certain cities to like fill out a questionnaire they basically feel mm. ask them how safe do you feel how high do you think is the risk of being mugged on the street etc etc and so for I tried to look up the numbers for Taiwan. So for Taipei, they had 240 people who took part in that. And for New Taipei City, it was only 20. And so I'm guessing it will be less than 500 for the whole of Taiwan. And then you are basing a statement like Taiwan is the second safest country in the world on something like this. Um, I mean, come on, let's, let's have a better look at, at this before we make it major headlines as well. Was it in different languages, the website? I think you can change the language, yeah. It's called numeo.com, N-U-M-E-O.com, if I remember correctly. So, Xiao, of course, New Taipei, 20 people. Of course, once upon a time, New Taipei was considered the crime sort of centre of northern Taiwan. Oh, that's true. And this is survey of um, trying to survey people's feeling of being safe is probably did not take into account that Taiwan is under constant military threat from China, right? And you see on the ranking, there's Hong Kong has been ranked number six, uh, even before Japan, who is number 10. Um, so right now, I, I wouldn't 
feel extremely safe in Hong Kong being, you know, um, number one, the, the protest, number two, the, the police has been, you know, known to be very brutal on, 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 on protests and um, people. So, I mean, this survey, as Klaus said, is probably overblown. But um, but that being said, I, I do feel, you know, proud to, to, to call Taiwan a safe country because I live in the New York City for, for 10 years and in the United States for the past 20 years. And I do feel much safer without, you know, constant terrorism threats, constant, you know, crime threats so and and even in taiwan people are known to you know chase after you if you drop your phone or wallet so uh, i think calling taiwan a, one of a safety country is is not overblown mm. i need to correct myself here the website is numbio.com n-u-m-b-e-o so you can all go there and make the taiwanese data a bit more reliable <laughs> yes. in chinese as well it's just checking i don't think so i think it's mostly in english actually yeah Oh, so this would have been only English people that can I read think, I think it's English. run by a guy in Serbia who claims that he used to work for Google before and then he He created his own thing. website. Yep. There did. you go. But, I mean, when you walk around Taipei at night, Klaus, late, early in the morning or late at well, night, every, do you feel safe? I think you ask anybody, everybody will agree that it feels extremely safe to, to live in Taiwan. And... Um, also, the, the, the crime that is happening is happening in certain places. Maybe you said so-called nightclubs. I found that interesting. <laughs> what, what do you mean by that? The nightclubs and the night, you know, the people who go out and dance and then, you know, all that fun, it, fun yeah. places. He means yeah. the special nightclubs. <laughs> special nightclubs. <laughs> that have a happy ending, we could say. So, so I think the whoever is behind it, the, the gangs or uh, syndicates or whoever, they are smart enough to try to keep it out of the open. And whenever it still gets, mm-hmm. that becomes mm-hmm. too public, mm-hmm. then there will be some backlash. Yeah, but, but I want to add in another layer on the uh, the, the, the replacement of the uh, police chiefs that... Uh, you know, actually, it's just a show of force of uh, the, the premier, right? Because, you know, if you follow the news, uh, the, the, the minister of interior had a fight with the chief of police over the uh, personnel issues. And I think this is just the premier way of saying that I have the final call here. Right. And the Fisheries Agency this Thursday announced a ban on Taiwan registered fishing boats fishing for three large size species of shark. Now, the move means local fishing vessels will be banned from catching the mega mouth shark, the great white shark and the basking shark. Now, interestingly enough, though, although the Fisheries Agency said that the move was to basically ensure basically the species continue to be seen and live in waters around Taiwan, the ban actually applies to all Taiwan registered fishing boats regardless of where they are operating and apparently if a Taiwan fishing boat accidentally catches one of these sharks, they have to throw it back whether it be dead or alive. Klaus? Yeah, I mean, um, this meaning that you cannot use the excuse of saying it was already dead when I caught it, so now that I have it, I can sell it anyway. Sure. Oh, what? Does that mean that I, I can't buy shark meat on the market anymore? <laughs> no, you can still do that. This is, these are endangered species, or two of them are endangered species um, under the International Union for Conservation of Nature. One is a lesser endangered species. Right, yeah, I was just kidding, because I don't like shark meat that much anyway. But, um, yeah, I mean, I'm all in favor of, you know, protecting the uh, the biodiversity around, you know, Taiwan's coast, um, just because you know, people you know when they go out and hunt for fish, they don't 
observe the you know this kind of uh, how which fish is in danger and which is not. So for government to step in and then actually propose a ban on on these certain type of sharks, I think that, that that's great for the for our future of um, our biological system. And of course, Klaus, Taiwan's fishing industry doesn't have a very good name when it comes to sharks in the first place. Well, a few years ago, the practice of shark finning was officially banned, where you catch sharks, you cut off their fins and keep them, and you just throw the carcass away because the meat actually is not that valuable. And back then, there was the same problem like you have for this regulation probably as well, is the major part of Taiwan's fishing fleet is operating on the high seas and, and internationally, and they don't come back to Taiwan for many months and maybe they will land at some port in South America to get rid of their cargo. And how do you um, how do you control if they keep to all these regulations or not? How do you check on them? Anyway, before we go this week, the Ireland's Professional Baseball League first half season wrapped up this week with the China Trust brothers being crowned champions. That after the league got off to a delayed start due to the coronavirus pandemic. And I spoke with CPBL broadcaster Clive Shu about the delayed start, but globally watched first half season. Good evening, Clive. Good evening, Gavin. How's it going? Good. So the season's now over, and of course it went from zero fans to thousands of fans. And how did you see the games developing in this time? Yeah, COVID-19 delayed 2020 CPBL season started off. It was slated to start off uh, March 24th. It was delayed until April 11th. And as you mentioned, starting with zero fans, no food, nothing of the like, it increased to 1,000 fans a couple weeks later, still with no food. Then they gradually increased it to 2,000. The CTBC brothers clinched the first half of the season two days ago with 10,000-plus fans. What a quite a miraculous story and just a uh, startling example of how a country, when it gets serious, can handle this, uh, this pandemic. The league has been working very closely with the CDC. Uh, they have not done things uh, rashly or on, on the spot. They've thought everything through, how the seating should be arranged, um, how the food should be um, handled, how um, opposing fans should, should be able to let in, everything from uh, when I took my boys to a game, everything from putting your name and number on the ticket to social distancing while you're in line, to temperature te- checks, to making sure you have a mask, to filling out a travel survey. Everything was thought through and it has been handled just tremendously. I could not be more proud of Taiwan and the CPBO, the, the league itself. And what about the atmosphere in the grounds? I mean, you, you saw that develop from, like, a few fans to, like, thousands of fans. So how was the atmosphere changing? Yeah, it was like, it was like the first day of school, you know, when the, when the stadium opened. Uh, the fans were lined up. They, they all went in. And then just gradually, as, as the fans increased, the atmosphere was just tremendous. Uh, what the fans that were there, you know, they were cheering their hearts out the entire game. No, virtually nobody leaves early here. Just they, they stay the entire game cheering the whole time. It was so nice to see as families, as players, uh, their families were all able to come back out. You know, the cheerleaders in the beginning, they were they still were still cheering their hearts out, but to no fans. And now, you know, the the CTVC brothers, they had a water water week, summer fun week, where they were spraying water guns all over the place. The mascots. Uh, particularly uh, Ryan and Saba Boy of the Uni Lions. They've, they've become world famous with their dance moves, and it's just been a tremendous, tremendous platform for the world to see what, what the CPBL League is all about. And, of course, the world got to see it through print and, of course, broadcast media. And, of course, you were involved in the English commentary of the CPBL games. Yes, probably two or three weeks into the season, 
Um, the CPBO realized the opportunity that it had with all of the other leagues uh, being shut down, baseball leagues, that is. And so they started doing English commentary, um, led by Richard Wong, who is a WBSC correspondent, and Wayne McNeil. They started doing the English commentaries first for the Rakuten Monkeys. And then so all of the other three teams then slowly, uh, they've followed, followed suit, of course, and then probably three weeks into English broadcast, all of the teams committed to doing the entire season uh, with English broadcast. So that's quite a, um, you know, a sudden change of events for the, for the 11 sports, for Momo TV, for Elta Sports. And then so they were scrambling a little bit to, to assemble broadcast crews to, to broadcast the games. And because I've done this with you, I was involved with CPBL English, um, I eventually got a call to see if I'd be interested in doing some broadcast games. And thus far, I've done eight, eight to ten games, and it's just a blast. It's an unexpected blessing, I would say, just for a baseball fan to be able to sit there, to talk about the game, like in your living room with your buddy, and to, to bring the game worldwide to fans. And I mean, what, did it, was it a bit of a jolt when they said, you've got to do play-by-play? For me personally, no, because I've loved the game so much. I've watched it so much. It was very, a fairly natural fit for me. I'd imagine for some of the other guys whose uh, mother tongue isn't English, it might have been a little bit, maybe a little bit more of a stressor for them just to be able to uh, fluidly broadcast an entire game in, in English. But for me, it's just what I see. It's what I, I normally do at home. But now I'm just making sure that I'm, I'm, I'm uh, voicing all of my thoughts with my partner, Jason Huang. I'm the play-by-play. He's the color guy. And we're, we're basically just hanging out, talking about the game, and then bringing it live uh, to fans worldwide. And in the beginning, it was a smashing hit with games drawing over close to a million viewers per game. Um, since then, there was one, one week of uh, all rain. The, the entire schedule was rained out. And then uh, 11 sports tried to capitalize and um, start charging uh, per view per game. And then so that was tremendous backlash. And so that caused some, some of the momentum to die down. But yet, uh, you know, we're continuing to do it. The, the league is committed to doing all of the games in English this year. And I would say there are probably two to 3,000 viewers each game. Are they thinking of continuing to the next season? Or haven't they thought about that yet? I doubt it. They may do some games here and there. There is a f- uh, following of, of uh, the CPBL worldwide now uh, f- for English speakers, of course. But that following, I think, is still rather small. Once things return to uh, normal, the MLB comes back. You know, Japan is now starting with fans. Uh, Korea, their KBO, they've started. Uh, they don't have fans yet, but they're playing. As leagues come back uh, to life and as they restart, uh, you know, the MLB has a, has a goal to start next week. Uh, as that increases, especially into next season, I don't foresee English broadcasts continuing, at least on every single game. And looking at the game themselves, of course, the China Trust Brothers won the first half season. And did you see that coming? Because, of course, they started a bit weak and the Monkeys were the top team. And then the brothers just nipped into the top spot and stayed there. Yeah, I did not see it coming for the brothers at all. They started off, as you said, um, a losing record. But then after that rained, that rained out week, their record has been 21-6. and six. So they used a tremendous a month of June um, and they, they carried that right into July. And I think it was uh, – things just kind of gelled and came together on both sides of the ball, offensive and defensively. But they were definitely led by their pitching. Uh, they had a league-low 4.36 team ERA, which is almost a full run and a half uh, behind the second-place Monkeys. 
Uh, you know, their starting pitching was led by Mitch Lively. They added Ariel Miranda this year, Jose DePaula. Uh, he's won eight straight. And then a local, and the emergence of a local uh, Taiwanese ace, Huang Enzi, their fourth starter. The, the four of them combined, if you look at their numbers combined, have just been tremendous. And then you carry that over into their bullpen. You know, they have the Palmianzu, led by uh, closer C.C. Lee. You know, the, and the joke is that by the time your instant noodles are ready to be eaten, They've already, finished, they've already wrapped up and finished the game. Uh, you add to C.C. Lee, there's also uh, Tai Chi and Wu Junwei. And so they've just become a very complete team, offensively and defensively. And they have a nice balance of veterans that are playing, like Zhang Zihao, who uh, leads the team with 15 home runs. Zhou Sichi stepped up big. Lin Zisheng just came back uh, last week and provided a huge emotional lift. But then their youngsters, particularly Zhang Kunyu, has emerged at shortstop. As an everyday player, he's only 20 years old. And so everything has just come together for them um, for this first half. And I see them carrying it on, continuing into the second half. So you think they'll win the second half season as well? Um, I think if they all stay healthy, they have a very, very good chance. Of course, the, um, the biggest rival, the biggest threat to that would be the Rakuten Monkeys, who until last week were right on their heels, and they're only two, two or three games behind them now. And they've dealt with their rash of injuries. They started off, you know, as you said, um, you know, hitting the, hitting the ball everywhere, killing everybody offensively. And then they just hit a lull, and they just never were able to quite come back from it. But they have uh, strong starting pitching in their own right, and that offense will always be there. So it's, I would say it's between those two teams. That was me in conversation with Clive Shue. And that's where we'll leave it here this week on Taiwan This Week. And I've been joined in the studio today by Xiaoxin Sheng. Good night, everyone. And Klaus Badenhagen. Great to be here. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcast on your favourite podcast app where you can get access to all our previous shows. Tune in again next Friday evening at 9 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.